to 23, verses 1 to 8. And this can be found on page 783 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back of the church. And page numbers for those are on the screen. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will be in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous saviour. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Sylvia, thanks very much for, for reading that powerful passage in, in a powerful way. Uh, very, very helpful for us as we come before this. It's just a short passage today, but a precious one uh, indeed. But as we, as we start, I've got a confession. And I know it's going to disappoint some of you, I'm sure. Um, but I can't help it, I have to say. I am a big fan of Marvel films. And uh, I've gone down in several people's estimation already now, haven't I? Now, I love them. They're exciting. They're, you know, uh, full of special effects and all the rest of it. But, you know, they are all basically the same, aren't they? I mean, it's amazing how they can hook us back time and time again to the cinema with more or less the same story, right? So you've got some sort of superhero there who's got great gifts. And early on in the, the, the piece, they, um, they fight against some small-time bad guy. And you see how powerful they are and how brilliant they are. Uh, and then a much bigger bad person comes along who's a real threat and uh, sort of slaps them around a bit. And they say, oh, how are they ever going to win? How are they ever going to overcome this great force? And then they find some item or some key to something. And all of a sudden, there's some hidden power they didn't have before. And all of a sudden, it makes everything okay again. You know, that's basically how almost every... Sorry to ruin them all for you. That's basically how every single one goes, more or less. It's an old technique. In theatre, actually, um, the uh, ancient Greeks and Romans used it quite a lot. You might have heard the phrase, a deus ex machina. Uh, and a deus ex machina, basically, they, they love to introduce really complicated, difficult plots. So complicated, you thought, how on earth are they ever going to resolve this story? It's so tangled and thorny and difficult. There's no way anybody could fix all the problems that you've raised in this story. And um, deus ex machina means God from the machine. Because what they used to do was uh, they would get someone to play one of the Greek or Roman gods. They'd have them wired up on a pulley and they'd bring them down like this and they would fix all the problems and make it all happily ever after. And, of course, you do it once and it's all right, but people started doing it over and over and over again. And, and when it's the same thing every time, people get a bit bored of it, don't they? You think, oh, it's a bit lazy. It's a storytelling uh, device. And th- this guy, uh, the... the The picture there is of a Roman poet called Horace. And and he once said this about this whole idea of bringing a a god out from the machine to fix all the problems. He says, do not bring a god on stage unless the laboring plot deserves his aid. In other words, if your story's not good enough, don't get a god to fix it for you. Yeah, don't be that lazy. Write better. Well, over the last weeks in Jeremiah... We've been seeing a story develop um, and being brought to light, the story of God's people. Uh, it's told all the way through the Old Testament, but it comes into sharp focus in Jeremiah. All the way through the Old Testament, we've seen that God's people never deserved his salvation, don't really appreciate his salvation, turn their backs on him. But in Jeremiah, that's sort of amplified as you see the people in their arrogance and their sin and their rebellion and their idolatry and ignoring God. And punishment upon punishment comes. They've got enemies who are too powerful for them all around. They've got rebellious, stubborn hearts. Uh, They're a godless nation. It's a huge problem. How on earth are God's people ever going to be brought back to him? How on earth are they ever going to be made right? Their prophets are all lying, speaking false words, apart from Jeremiah there. They've got other prophets contradicting Jeremiah. The temple is corrupt. And the kings are useless. Where on earth are they going to find help? 
is there a human solution possible to this problem? Or does it need a God, the one true and living God, to come and fix it? And actually, the, the focus of this passage is the need for God to come and solve this enormous problem that's been developing through Jeremiah. There is no human solution to it. It needs a God solution. You might have noticed, as Sylvia read, the number of times, I will, I myself will, I will, I will, I will, because this is a passage all about what God is going to do for this desperate people in this desperate situation. And that's really where we've got to put our hope and our trust. We've been seeing that as we've been building hope over the last couple of weeks. The hope comes from the God who will do something for his people. So three points. God will gather his scattered people. And it needs God to do it because the leaders are not doing it. Woe to the shepherds. Shepherd is an image, verse 1 here. Woe to the shepherds. The shepherd is the image of a, of a king or a ruler at that time. Uh, The people were regarded as a flock, and the king over the people was the shepherd who was supposed to take care of the flock, to tend them, uh, to gather them. But here is God saying, woe to those shepherds. Judgment upon those shepherds, because they have not done their job properly. This is a section, actually, in the book, which is making that clear. So if you just look over the other side of the page in chapter 22, verse 18... 782, you see, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, verse 18. And then there's a little section condemning the king Jehoiakim. He's been a bad leader. And then um, a little later on, we get into verse, uh, where are we? Verse 24. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, so he was the king who came afterwards, and he's another bad king. And if you read in the book of two kings, you see they have bad king after bad king after bad king. And and it's as if Jeremiah is going through them all, one by one, saying how useless they've been at taking care of God's people. Uh, And after Jehoiachin, remember last week there was uh, Jehoiachin got sent into exile with a bunch of people. uh, And another king was put on the throne in Jerusalem. And that other king was called Zedekiah. And he's so useless and such a non-entity, Jeremiah doesn't even mention him by name. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. He's such a useless king. In fact, you read about him later on in sort of chapters 34. And uh, and you see, he's he's a people pleaser. He's weak. He just does what anybody says. He knows Jeremiah is a prophet from God, and yet he can't bring himself to have the courage to stand up and, and fight for Jeremiah. He's just weak. He's just useless. What a poor leader. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, verse 2, the God of Israel. Say to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Now, Jeremiah is quite a clever writer, and he loves his puns. And there's a little pun in this verse which doesn't quite come come through. Pun time, pun time number one. I I thought I'd put this cartoon on. Uh, What happened to you? I got fired. This is a family of bullets. So the word fired there has two different meanings, you know, and we have a pun a bit like that 
in this passage. There's a Hebrew word, pakad, and it can mean to attend or take care of, or it can mean to punish. And actually, in English, we, we sometimes use it in that way, don't we? I'm going to take care of you can have two different meanings. It sort of depends how you use it. And so God says here to the shepherds, the, the rulers, you've not taken care of my people, so I'm going to take care of you. Judgment is going to fall on these bad leaders. It is a sobering thought, can I say, personally. Um, And I guess for any who would take any role of leadership amongst God's people. God is watching. He's watching to see that his word is fulfilled. He doesn't just let people do what they want forever. If you're in any leadership role, are you exercising it faithfully? It's been something that I've been grappling with this week. God will call me to account. But wonderfully, faithless leaders will not stop God's plans. He will gather his scattered people. Verse 3, I myself is emphatic. Yeah, they have not been good enough. So I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I've driven them. I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. Those words, very, very shot through the whole Bible. Fruitful and increase. Back in Genesis 1, that's God's plan for humanity. Be fruitful and multiply. He says to Abraham, go and multiply and become as vast as the stars in the sky. He says to the the children of Israel when they're in the Exodus, you know, they've multiplied in Exodus chapter 1. God's plan and purpose is always for growth and flourishing. And he says, well, your leaders have let you down. And they've suffered under the famine, the plague, and the sword. They've been scattered away into Babylon. He says, I'm going to gather you back and you'll flourish again like you're meant to, like I made you to. God is going to do it. He's going to gather his scattered people. And the wonderful news is, if you're one of God's people, your ultimate safety doesn't rest on any human leader. It doesn't even rest on yourself. It rests on the God who gathers his scattered people and takes care of them. Just process that for a minute. Your hope depends on him. He doesn't ever let anyone down. Although God is the one who's going to do it, he does give others jobs to do. So verse 4, I will play shepherds over them who will tend them. And they will no, no longer be, listen to this, no longer be afraid or terrified or will any be missing. He says, I am going to give you leaders. There, are still, there is still a role for people to take a, a, a leadership role. And God says, when I play shepherds over my people, they are to tend them. They are to keep them safe. They're not to be afraid. Uh, They're not to be terrified. Just a note here, of course, in God's people, the the under-shepherds are to tend the sheep. They're to tend the sheep. They're not to tend goats. They're not to tend wolves. Um, It's not always the case that every single person in a church community will necessarily be uh, a sheep. It's a sad truth, but it is one. But for those who are genuine believers 
in Jesus. The role of those God appoints in leadership is to take care of them, to tend them. Under God's rule as the ultimate shepherd, the rightful shepherd. Not to let them be afraid, not to let them be terrified, not to let them be missing. It's a beautiful picture of tender care. Is that your picture of God? A tender, caring shepherd. We've seen a lot of God's righteous judgment throughout Jeremiah, and that's right. We need to have that in our view of God. But we shouldn't lose this in our view of God either. The tender, caring shepherd. God will gather his scattered people. Second, God will raise up the right king. Verse 5, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So so God's going to be the hero. He's going to gather the people. He'll place shepherds under him over the people. But there's one in particular, one leader in particular who comes into view now. A king. Uh, We get that phrase, the days are coming. Used about 16 times in Jeremiah, and it always introduces hope. And in fact, in this passage, we get it twice. In verse 5 and verse 7. So so the huge hope of God's people is sort of concentrated here in in chapter 23. And the first great hope is there's going to be a right king. A righteous king. A king who comes from David's line. The the family tree of David has been cut down quite drastically in Jeremiah's day, hasn't it? As one king after another's fallen, one's been shipped off into exile, you've now got a puppet king, Zedekiah, on the throne. And yet out of this cut down tree, a branch is going to come out, almost miraculously. God is going to raise up a king. And the key point here is the king is going to be the right king. So that word righteous can also just mean right, rightful, legitimate. And just cast your mind back to Jeremiah's day. Jehoiachin and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and a huge crowd of others have been cast off to Babylon. So he was the king and, and the king of Babylon came and chucked him off the throne. And then the king took another guy. And put him on the throne. And this other guy was called uh, Mataniah. Um, But he changed his name to Zedekiah. Which means the Lord's right one or righteous one. As if the king of Babylon was to say, this is the right king now. This Zedekiah. He is the right king. And Jeremiah says, rubbish. He's not the rightful king. We're looking for a better one. A right king, a righteous king, a rightful king. Zedekiah is weak, spineless, knows what's right but does not do it. And look at the difference between him and this king. A king who will reign wisely. Well, Zedekiah heard the word of the Lord from Jeremiah and did the opposite. He was not wise and lost his kingdom, lost his sons, 
lost his eyes as they were gouged out. A king who will do what is just and right in the land. Well, well, Zedekiah didn't. And here's something I think would be helpful to do. If you read chapters 34 to 45 in Jeremiah, it tells the story of the end of the kingdom and the end of Jeremiah. It's desperate. It shows you what a nation that falls apart under bad leadership looks like. A bad king is bad news for the whole nation. And so on the flip side, of course, this king, what glorious news it is to have a king like this. What a wonderful day it will be when a king who is wise and just and righteous comes to the throne. What will happen in that day? Verse 6, all Judah will be saved. All Israel will live in safety. Don't you want to live under a king like that? Says Jeremiah. And his name? Well, his name. Pun time number two. Here's another pun for you. Rip boiled water, you will be missed. And the, the, the way this pun works, it got grown from Steve there. You see. The way this pun works is you change the word. Missed and missed, you know, sound the same, but change the word. It's a different way of doing a pun. Well, that's the kind of pun Jeremiah uses this time. So the name by which this king will be called in verse 6 is not Zedekiah, but Zedekanu. Changes his name. Not Zedekiah, but Zedekanu. Zedekiah means the Lord, my righteousness. Zedekanu means the Lord, our righteous saviour. This is a king who rules for his people. Who rules for the good of his people. Unlike those shepherds who destroyed and scattered the sheep of the pasture in verse 1, this is a king who will gather them home, who will rescue them, who will save them, who will take them out of the hands of their enemies and give them peace and comfort and save safety. He is a better king. A king who is not only righteous himself, but through his rule makes his people righteous, gives us a safe community. His righteousness covers them. His wisdom and justice are shot through the land. God is going to give us a king like that, Jeremiah says. And at this point, can I just ask you a question? Don't you want to live under a king like that? There's a lot of chat going on in the news at the minute about leadership, understandably, given what's been going on. But as Christian people, we should know that our political leaders are never going to fulfill everything that we want of them. They're never going to be perfect. As Christians, we're called to pray for them. We're called to try and call them to account where we can and make sure we're a voice for peace and justice and all the rest of it. But don't expect them to be our righteous saviors. That's putting too much of a burden on them. And they'll always let you down. God promises a king who can fulfill the role. We'll think about who that king is in just a minute. I don't think it'll come as a great surprise. But third point, God will bring his people home. So we've had God will gather his scattered people, he will raise up the right king, and he will bring them home. 
So then, the days are coming, verse 7, declares the Lord. When people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, they will live, then they will live in their own land. God is saying, you know what's happened in the past. You've seen my great rescues in the past. Well, I'm going to do something again. And it's going to be so great, it's going to make that look like nothing. You'll forget all about the Exodus. The Exodus was like the key event in God's Old Testament people. His enormous, miraculous rescue from the hand of Pharaoh. And God said, there's a rescue I'm going to bring that's so much better, so much greater, that you'll forget almost about the Exodus. It'll become a, a minor footnote. No longer will people say anything about the Exodus. Instead, they'll say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought us out of exile, who brought us home. Home is such a, a wonderful feeling, isn't it? When you get home and you rest on a nice, comfortable couch, sunlight coming through the window or whatever it is. When I say the word um, home, for most of us, I guess, it does conjure up a, a place of rest. And God says, I'm going to bring my people home. Then they will live in their own land. God says, that, that thing you're longing for, peace, safety, security, comfort, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to do it because your shepherds have let you down and I'm going to raise up a righteous king who will lead you home. They've got themselves into a great mess. They need saving. They need uh, restoring. But who's going to do it? Who is going to fulfill this great promise? Does it require God? Well, it seems that it absolutely does, as God is the one who says, I will, I will, I will. But how does it work? Who is this king? Is it a joint effort between him and God? What's going on here? Who is the real hero of this story? The poet Horace, who said, don't bring a god on the stage unless the plot deserves one, he died in 8 BC. I often thought that's a bit of a shame, because by a decade... He missed the greatest deus ex machina of all. When God actually came onto the stage himself in human history. To rescue his people, to be their righteous king, to scatter them in from all the nations so that one day they can know for sure they will get home. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. Friends, the Lord Jesus is this righteous, wise, just king. God in the flesh has come. He's come to be our king, to be our true shepherd. He's come to gather us. He's come to take us home. He's solved the problem of our sinful hearts. 
hearts. Taking the punishment for those sins on the cross. If you want to know more about that, come tonight. It'll be a great opportunity to dwell on it. But more even than that, he promises to fix the problem of our broken world. He's going to gather us and bring us to a place of peace and safety. So how do we respond? Well, so I suppose it depends where you are. Uh, are you somebody here today who is trusting and living under this good king, Jesus, who has come once and will come again to restore his kingdom in its fullness? Or are you still on the outside? We're, we're aware in a church like ours, we do get visitors come and join us week by week, and it's great to have you with us. Well, if God has given us this king, you can either live under him and flourish... Or you can miss out completely on all the blessings and promises God wants to give. It's him or no one. There is no other who can give you this. If you're living under the kingship of Jesus, then how do we apply this passage? Well, Actually, it would be a real shame, wouldn't it, if I went away and said, now you must do X, Y, and Z, because the whole point of this passage is that it's God who rescues his people. It's God who gets the glory. And so I want to say, if you are a believer, a Christian here today, why not go through this passage again this afternoon or tonight and just chew over and delight on This good king that God has given us. Delight in his good and glorious rule. Thank him that he has provided such a one. And for all of us going forwards, into this week, into this month, if God is the rescuer, then our job is to put all our hope and all our trust in him. That's hard, because I know so often, yeah, I trust Jesus, but, but I want to rely on myself a little bit as well. But when it comes to this, I cannot gather myself home. I cannot bring myself back. I need God. And so in dependence and humility, I need to come before him and say, Lord, thank you. You've done it all. Help me give you all the glory and help me delight in living under King Jesus. He is a great king. Let's give him glory now by praying to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that when your people go astray, when bad shepherds fail to rule them, in their sinfulness and brokenness, you do not discard them. You do not discard us. Instead, you come and act. You yourself come. You gather. You bring us home. And you do it through your righteous king, your one and only son, Jesus the wise, just, righteous one. 
thank you we have such a king. Sorry for the times we look elsewhere. Today, bring us back to delight in him. And to put all our hope and all our trust in him because he is the only one who can rescue us. The only one who can bring us home to heaven. Thank you for him, we pray. In his most precious name. Amen.